then move to ETN. We got it. We can't record. This. I no, we can't record this. We're going to record this right now. This is our introduction. Oh, all right. yeah, that's fine. I, I agree with you saying. So, I agree one hundred percent. I I believe that we're living in some sort of matrix, right? Yeah. And and people are plugged in, and people are unplugged. And there's some people that can plug in and out, and you need to plug in and out. You need to be that person that can navigate through your taxes, navigate through the the fact that. You gotta the, play the game. The roads are paid by a, a centralized source called your 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 town and your state state officials. Mm-hmm. That the you know taxes happen for, for your property. But what you need to do is you need to set yourself up. That's why I tell you to get freaking solar panels is, is so that you can go off grid if you need to go off grid too. You gotta yeah. be able to be flexible. Because like I said when we were talking about because they cut the electricity at my house. I'm I'm fucked. That's it. You're fucked. Yeah. Unless I have no battery. Yeah. Yeah. This. Uh, I'll send you a link for a generator. And generator. That's another problem because the gasoline is is. Uh, we're still you know, even though I'm on Google, we still got the camera going and shit. But I just wanted to show you this this website real quick. It's called Jackery.com, and these are I think up to two thousand watt solar generators. And you buy the generator pack. Oh, buy, see, I would do something more like that panels. than getting the one put on my house. I'm about to invest in this right now. They feel like camping in RV, so they'll only do 2,000 watts. I don't know how many watts you would need to run a whole house, but I have a, I think it's like a, like a 10,000 watt generator or something like so that. So what, what if you bought two of them? It might be a 100,000 watt generator. Well, there's different levels of, oh. of, of battery packs, and then the, the bigger the output of the battery pack you get, the more solar panels you have to buy. Right. What I was thinking about doing was going to Harbor Free Tools first and buying one of their solar panels and fucking around with it with just light bulbs and, and maybe if I go to chicken coop, something to keep the water warm and the winter yeah. and something like that. Learning that technology and then that jack, whatever that website is that I sent you, just the battery pack alone for the biggest one, you're, you're looking at about three grand. Then you got to put the solar panels on top of it. So once you're all set and done, you look up $5,000 investment. But if it runs my whole house if for 5000 if, if it can run your whole house And you don't have these solar, gigantic solar panels on the front of your house. What you'll do is keep that battery charging all day and keep your lights off during the day and then at night, boom, everything, everything comes on for you. Or what you want to come on can come on. You sure or you use it during, or use it during this, you know, at night, you know, yeah, during the day yeah. you have no lights on and then, or you're running electricity for your microwave yeah, and yeah. shit. I, I, but, I think we need to be as self-sufficient as possible, but we also need to learn how to play within the matrix and know that it exists. And it's like when we were doing the Myanmar podcast, I said to you that it's all these like crime organizations that are running the world. Who would you rather have doing it? And who would you rather have doing the raping and the pillaging and the, and the, and the trafficking? Yeah, the, the government and the military. Or, or, or would you rather have the, the, the Biden crime family or the Trump crime family? And I'm telling you, the Trump's nationalist stuff, I'd rather have the Trump crime family. And he's coming out, like, he's telling, talking all positive shit about this vaccine and shit. And I'm like, dude, you know, what the he, fuck? He like, lost any kind of respect for me, he lost because of what he did to push the vaccine. Yeah. And fuck he, that. You should have never fucking done that. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. Then, at first he was all about the you know uh, therapeutics well, he, and all that. He, he could have had a he, he could have had them holding a gun to freaking time travel and Baron Trump's head, <laughs> you know. So you, you don't know, you don't know right. what was going on behind the scenes. It's fucking ruthless. But anyway, well, well yeah, who do we have? I'm Matt. <laughs> I'm Eric. And today we talked to Carla Garrett from yeah. um, the Free State Project. She was president of the Free State Project for a while. And I love her her whole attitude, man. She comes around, and it's just like, like, like rays of optimism. And, yeah. and she has a book called the the. Um, I had it up here. Hold on. Yeah, get it up again because I'm having a 
wicked bad brain fart right now. Uh, I can't think of the word. The word's on the tip of my tongue. But it is called the ecstatic pessimist. Ecstatic pessimist. And she's definitely not a pessimist. And she's been doing some real work on herself over the past few years. And she came on our podcast to talk a little bit about that, plus talk a little bit about the Free State Project. Um, and she's going to come back on, and we're going to do a deep dive into plant tree riots here in New Hampshire. Which I didn't know actually happened in New Hampshire. If you haven't looked it up, look it, it up. up. It's pretty freaking Just cool. go to the Wikipedia and look it up, and that'll be your little teaser before I apologize. And hold on one second. I got to get one more thing. When you see the red flag with the little pine tree up in the corner, that's to symbolize the pine tree riot. But basically, that was the test run for the Boston Tea Party, which kicked off the American Revolution, according to our revisionist history books. But um, he's bringing out whiskey. Well, today is June 4th. June 4th. And if Good you day. listen to our podcast, you know that today is Marvin Hemeyer Kilgoza Day. Mm-hmm. So in honor of Marvin Hemeyer, reasonable one back. man brought to do unreasonable things. If you haven't watched or, or, or listened to the little mini kind of off the cuff, I hit record on my phone while Eric and I were talking, and we went into um, some of the stuff that you don't really, our thoughts on on Meyer yeah. and, and the whole Killdozer thing. That and was I, awesome. I, yeah, and like, uh, there's a documentary on, on uh, I don't know if it's still on Netflix. Probably. But um, they kind of make it look like he's crazy. crazy. But in all reality, it was just a guy, the government just pushed too far, and he lost everything because of an un... Un, uh, what was it? Um, unfair. What's the lack of a better term? An unfair government. He, he wasn't. A, he wasn't fitting in with the town, and the good old boys didn't like him. And it was good old boy cowboy Colorado, and they wanted him to fuck out because they wanted that property. Yeah. yeah. So Unreal. in, happy, in honor, Marv. Happy Kildo's Day. And enjoy our awesome podcast with Carly Garrett. It's not a political statement. It's a patriotic duty. Such as yours, owe a common obligation to the people. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. Where are you people? On dope? I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. But we have some bad hombres here and we're going to get them out. It's always nice to hear. So we started recording. I like to kind of get going right off the jump with these things, and I kind of like the the fidgeting around and the small talk. That, that we have. All right, fidget, fidget away. That one's not gonna work. So okay, hold on. I gotta put my old lady glasses back on. Go for it. Perfect. Continue. All right. All right. I guess this is what we're doing. We're going. All right. That's better. I guess. Okay. I. So Sorry, gonna... clearly I combed my hair for the occasion. Uh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. We're excited to have you here uh, and, and joining us tonight. I'm Matt. I'm the one who reached out to you. Uh, this is Eric. Hi, nice to meet you. So Hi, we, guys. We have this little podcast we started. Um, we, we dip into a little bit with, with you know geopolitical issues and it kind of started out with us um, you know, bitching about the, the state of you know what, what was going on throughout 2020. You know, we, we met in a Facebook uh, town group here. And we got to talking and we said, let's start a podcast. So here we are, 22, you're 23 right now, episodes in. Uh, we Good started- for you. That's amazing. That's great. It's, it's, it's fun, fun doing it. We're meeting fun. a lot of great people on, on the, the, the road of learning, you know, everything there is to know about podcasting and becoming a member of the, 
the, I guess, alternative media community or whatever. Truth community. There we go. So a while ago in January, we had Aaron Day on. And when I posted that episode up, I think he retweeted it or somehow through him, a tweet from you came up. And I started digging into you. And I said, oh, I got to talk to this lady. She's, she sounds awesome. And, you know, I, I started looking at, you know, your, your website. Can, can, so let's do a, a, a small introduction right now. So we're, we're at the Resistance Chronicle. Our guest is Carla Garrick. Am I pronouncing that right? Yes. Because I've seen it. I, I heard you once saying Garrick. And then I heard you, I, I heard a podcast with you recently, and they pronounced it differently. So I wanted to make sure. So it's Carla Garrick. Welcome to the Resistance Chronicle. We, we are a, a site to have you here. Um, we're based out of New Hampshire, as you know. You're based out of New Hampshire. Exactly. Yeah. Thumbs up. Um, and I, I guess if we could just get started, if you could just give us a quick you know, CV and, and go through the book and all that stuff and get our listeners familiar with, with who you are and, and you know what you've done, what brought you to the States and then New Hampshire. I mean, we'd, we'd love to hear the, you know, the, 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 the quick biography of it all. It would be awesome. Sure. So um, I feel like I should go, my origin story is, uh-huh. <laughs> I, uh, I was actually born in South Africa in the 70s. My dad was in the foreign service. And so he, uh, you know, as a diplomat, I kind of grew up all over the world. So we, we spent time in America in the 70s in New York City. And then uh, I ended up in boarding school. My parents lived in Brazil and then Sweden and stuff. So I got to travel a lot as a child. Um, But also I grew up in a police state, right? Under apartheid, Uh, you know, I think we're starting to see totalitarianism has various different flavors. South Africa's at the time was sort of a nationalistic, separatistic, you know, vibe going on. Uh, It obviously really sucked for black people, but it wasn't that awesome for white people either. And then when I was in law school, I, I want a green card in the green card lottery. So my parents had written me in and they had, uh, you know, half jokingly my boyfriend and I said, oh, well, you know, if one of us wins the green card, we'll get married, we'll move to America, we'll go on this giant adventure. And lo and behold, I won a green card. So I got married. Uh, We came on a giant adventure and uh, landed in San Francisco. My husband, to whom I am still married after I think it's 28 years. It's been a hot second. (laughs) Uh, uh, We landed in San Francisco. He's a techie. So he was sort of in the tech sector. I retook the bar exam. I started practicing in-house. So I worked for tech companies like Logitech and Apple Computer. I actually worked on Steve Jobs' return to Apple and uh, his acquisition of Next and, you know, was sort of integrated in that San Francisco high tech industry, was also deeply troubled when I had to lay off a thousand people in my company, including myself. Mm. And it was around about that time. And this is when the dot com bubble burst in 2000 uh, that I started kind of going, what's going on in the world? First of all. Everyone was like, Y2K, Y2K, Y2K. And I remember even back then being like, you know, these people seem to be going bananas about something that none of the 
techies really seemed that worried about. You know, I went to all these conferences and, and it just, you know, it, it sort of fed into that bubble. And then when the bubble burst and obviously the entire uh, tech industry was just decimated, my husband's company folded. We actually left San Francisco for a while, ended up backpacking through Southeast Asia and India, went back to South Africa uh, for about two and a half years and then landed in New York City. I had realized I did not really want to be a lawyer, so I went back to school wrote a book, and then uh, around about the second, you know, economic crisis in 2008, when this, when the uh, real estate bubble burst, we actually moved to New Hampshire. So I chose New Hampshire as my home. I think it's like, I mean, it's the best kept secret that I'm trying to make a little less secret. <laughs> we just want like the, the right kind of people, you know, so in a nutshell, the Free State Project is basically a movement to try and bring liberty-minded, libertarian-minded people, you know, lots of Ron Paul kind of flavor, constitutionalists, just trying to get people who are like-minded in the sense that, hey, maybe the non-aggression principle counts for something, but you know what? So does property rights. And, and, you know, so we're trying to kind of get those kinds of folks to move here. So, so that's it. I moved in 2008 in a blizzard. Do not recommend. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it here. You know, New Hampshire is just an amazing state. And you came to New Hampshire via the Free State Project? Yeah, actually, I did. So I learned about the Free State Project in 2003-ish, I think, is when I signed up. So it was the brainchild of a guy called Jason Sarens. He actually works at St. Aids now. And um, he wrote a paper back, so it must have been, yeah, like 2001. And he was just, he was really frustrated that, you know, uh, specifically with libertarian politics, they would libertarians just don't get anywhere it's not because we don't exist or because these ideas aren't good or any of those things it's just uh it's it's a fairly new idea in the history of ideas of the world this notion that we you know have self-ownership and actually that every human interaction should be consensual and one group of people just because they're the majority on that particular issue don't get to say well 49 of you gotta suck it up and just do what i say you know so um so he 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 was like what what would happen if a bunch of us actually concentrated somewhere. You know, like if we actually, instead of you know being millions of people all over the country, if we kind of got together, maybe we could get this, this off the ground and do a, a, I guess a proof of concept, right? To really just show people that, you know, the ideas of liberty work and how do we know they work? Because they were, you know, when America started and people were free to do what they wanted to do, this was a very prosperous country. And as we've introduced more and more and more and more and more regulations to the extent where one might even argue last year, you know, we were on a global lockdown which arguably is kind of like putting people in camps, right? Like it's just, you you know, it was framed in a very smart way, but it was sort of this voluntary imprisonment. And I'm not going to let the streets of the world go without at least, you know, a good old fashioned try here. 
Carla, with, with the, the schools shut down last year, and just to touch on your point about, about the, the lockdowns, I was totally expecting the bus companies to send buses through towns and start rounding rounding people up based on, on do you have COVID, could you have COVID? Because they were doing that somewhere. Right? Hearing these crazy stories in Canada, yeah. like the police breaking into people's houses and, and pulling them out. And it's like only a matter of time before you can, you know, see this happening in the States. And now to top it off with the riots that were happening all over the country, it, it was just an absolutely bananas year. And then we had an election to boot. And, and you had a little piece of, 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 of election uh, running yourself, right? You, you were running for the Senate here? Yeah, you, so I have, I have now three times run and lost <laughs> uh, for the New Hampshire Senate. But I will say this, it's a big swing. My district is District 20. It encompasses like half of Manchester and all of Goffstown. Okay. It's, um, you know, so it's a mix of sort of urban and rural. Yeah. Um, in 2016, when I ran, I ran Republican. I ran because they could not find someone to go up against Lou D'Alessandro. He's the self-declared lion of the Senate. He's been there 24 years. He's in his mid-80s. He's kind of an institution. And so, you know, no one was crazy enough, I guess, to, to, to do it. And I was like, sure, you know, what do I have to lose? Literally nothing, right? Um, so in 2016, and, and I mean, I'm not joking when I say it was at like four o'clock in the afternoon phone call and the filing period closed at five o'clock. And I still had to ask my husband if he thought it was a good or a bad idea. You know, I had to... You couldn't file downtown. You actually had to drive to Concord. Uh -huh. And it was bike week. So the traffic was like bananas. I went through the toll gate. I got to I got to Concord and I double parked my car and just like ran up the steps with three minutes to oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> I was like slid into Gardner's office and he was like, who is this? And I was like, I don't want a picture. <laughs> he was just like, what is this? Um, in 2018, so I got like 39, 40% that race. In 2018, a really cool thing happened. Um, I was running again Republican. And honestly, you know, I will say to people, look at the Republican platform in New Hampshire. It is very liberty forward. You know, it talks about individual rights. It is a good, solid platform. Um, I feel, you know, entirely comfortable saying, you know, I can vote that way. Um, but in 2018, a bunch of LP, so Libertarian, Big L, Libertarian Party people were like, we're going to write you in anyway. And I was like, okay. So here in New Hampshire, you actually have this, uh, it's called a fusion candidate. And you can actually be the person for uh, on two parties. Some people who are very well known in the state actually run Dem and Republican sometimes. Okay. So I... Um, I knew I had, the way it works is you have to get 30 write-ins. And if you get the 30 write-ins, then you'll be on the ballot for both those parties. And I was fairly confident we had the number. My district's big. And I thought I had it just in, in my personal ward here on Ward 11. But when they read the results, they were like, no, you didn't get any write-ins in Ward 11. And I was like, that seems weird. So I filed for a recount because... Why not? <laughs> and lo and behold, there was a screw up somewhere and they uh, they did miscount. And so I ended up being on the ballot, both on the LP and the Republican Party. So, so that was fun. 
they missed all 30, uh, 30 write-ins for you. Yeah, so <laughs> to, to be fair, you know, because, you know, we, we, we're all scratching our heads a little bit on uh, election integrity nationwide, I think. But um, to be fair, I think what happened was they filled in that there were write-ins. Like, I think it was a spreadsheet mistake, like where they were indicating there were write-ins, but they didn't write in the right number. But regardless of what the reason is, here is something that I have noticed, right? There are consistently all these discrepancies. And a lot of it doesn't have to be, you know, intentional. I mean, even, you know, we can arc and razor it. We could say, you know, the likely explanation is just incompetence, you know. I mean, let's say for the sake of argument, the uh, virus was, you know, lab created and escaped a uh, lab somewhere. It's still a pretty shitty virus if it was designed to kill mankind. So, you know, sometimes we should be grateful for the incompetency we are competing against. <laughs> Not only is it a pretty shitty virus that it didn't kill mankind, the only way you'd find out that you had it is if you get a giant Q-tip stuck up your nose. <laughs> <laughs> right? Which, you know, people forget this, but last year, I mean, it might be scrubbed off the internet now, but I'm pretty sure I have a screen grab that um, the CDC sent out over 200,000 contaminated swabs that were contaminated with COVID. And I'm like, how do you make mistakes like that? You know? It didn't even happen. Like, that shouldn't even happen. No. It's sealed, like what? Like I don't understand. Yeah, you 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 make it, you put it in the package, and then that's it. You send it out. There's so right. much stuff happening throughout the, in, in history in general, right? You could say that this from from the, the creation of the Federal Reserve all the way through history, the moon landing. This is just another another feather in the cap, I think, of, of whoever is is really running the show, the, the head of the octopus here. Um, yeah, they're doing, and they found out that they can just lock us down like that, and and people are just going to march along with it and not ask any questions. I think it's the fear. You gotta you gotta make people scared. Scared. You make yeah. them scared. They'll do whatever you want. Give them. Yeah, a, and and that that was what was very clever about what they did. But you know, I'm very solution based, and I think that's why I really love what we're doing with the Free State Project and the allies we've built. Right. Yeah. So. Um, you know, this last year, I mean, I've met amazing, amazing, you know, like a 10th generation Granite Staters, but also just people who, you know, have actually also moved here for the same reasons over time, you know, or they've moved back because their family's from here. And there's this Boy. sense that, you know, I, I've always said, I don't, I know I can't fix the entire world, but, you know, I think here in New Hampshire, if we, if we come into it with a cultural mindset that says, we don't think what happened is acceptable. I think um, hopefully people will be a little more skeptical next time. But I think also we found all these allies, you know, rebuild, reopen a lot of the uh, gun groups, all of that. And people are just like, I see you, you know? Um, and, and that's important because you said the words, you know, they or, you know, whoever. I, I actually think what's happening is is something very positive for human liberty. And that is that the world is decentralizing at an alarming rate. Now they've centralized news, right? And how information is being disseminated. But even that's a stupid play because what they've done is they've actually forced 
uh, people, you know, I got banned on Facebook for a while. I'm definitely shadow banned now. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's mildly frustrating, but it's also making me reach out and, you know, talk to more people and go to events. And ultimately, if we are going to have this sort of prison planet totalitarianism, some places are going to say no. I, 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 for a fact, have said no. And so, you know, I believe other people here will do the same, right? And then it really matters geographically where we are and who our community is. And so that is actually the beauty, you know? So we have, for example, with the Free State Project, we have Porkfest coming up, right? Hold so up. You're going? No, it sold out. Yes, it has, but you know, you know people, so I we'll know. see. <laughs> uh, it's um, don't, don't, don't let the organizer. Would you recommend a certain day over if I could only make it for one day, would you what day would you recommend as the day to go? Like the last so, It depends, right? So so the biggest days, of course, are always Saturday and it kind of builds to that. But honestly, like if you like comedy and stuff, Thursday is going to be a pretty gangbusters day. We have Dave Smith is coming up with Robbie. Dave Smith's a comedian. He does the Part of the Problem podcast. Um, He came out a couple of years ago. Um, But then, you know, Wednesday they're doing... So it would be good for people who... If it's sold out, come earlier in the week so that we're not actually piling people with no tickets at the end of the week. But um, every day is going to be special. It's going to be amazing. We have a series of programs talking about the history of the Free State Project, you know, why we picked New Hampshire. People often ask that. And of course, I mean, it starts with the slogan, like, live free or die. (laughs) Not the catchiest in a pandemic. (laughs) That depends. (laughs) <laughs> Some of us still believe in it. Yeah. No, I believe it too, but it was pretty weird being up at the state house and everyone's chanting, live free or die, you know, and you're like, yeah, this is very real right now. Because the thing is, you can't, you have to believe that, right? Because you can't be live free or die, except if there's something that might actually kill you, then we'll lock you down. Yeah. Because yeah. that's absurd. Live free or die unless people get sick. Right. Yeah. So with, with the Free State Project and you guys here, here in the state and moving in, how, how are you finding the reception from uh, Granite Staters? I know when the, the Free State Project first kind of started emerging, people were calling you guys terrorists, which is just absolutely absurd to even, I, I mean, if anybody even just looks up who, who Ron Paul is, they'll know that the Free State Project is, is you know, no, no kind of terrorist organization. I'm sure you've done a lot of PR or the Free State Project's done a lot of PR through the years. How, how's, how's, how is it now? It, it, it seems like everybody I talk to that's from New Hampshire, I know some folks from Claremont and other areas that were born and bred here in New Hampshire that absolutely love what the what Free State Project is doing. Do, do you find the same the same thing when you're traveling through, through the state and talking to people? Yeah, I do. Honestly, the only people who don't like us are statists. Um, I'm yet to be criticized by someone who does not get paid by the government and by my stolen dollars. So, you know, my bleeding heart just says, don't really care that much. Um, I do care about spreading ideas effectively and really helping people to understand that um, a lot of good things flow out of uh out of liberty, you know, like when we looked at what happened last year, you know, one of the things I said from the start is that you, 
when, when you make the wrong choices and when you eliminate choices, right? Because part of what we believe in, in a free market sort of society is that we're allowing competition because competition actually drives us to the best solutions fastest, right? That's the whole point of it, right? It's like, oh, we figured out this great system that allows us to get from here to there as fast as possible. But when you have top-down control and centralization like we saw, you start to be like, oh, you're not allowed to use that medicine. Oh, you're not allowed to express that idea. Oh, you're not allowed to whatever. And now we're in this monopolistic sort of state health, public health, greater good channel, right? And it's like, well, you can't say it's the greater good if it's bad for me, because then whose greater good is it? And why is it good? Like, who gets to decide, right? It's greater good for me. It might be a greater good for you, but it's not good for me. So why should I have to be on board with that? I should not be able to do what I feel is right. Exactly. Right. And and that's what freedom is, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's not like we're stubborn to the point of unreason, right? Like, I... I actually did wear a mask for the first, so my husband had come back from South Africa, like in, I think the last week in February, maybe first week in March. And we were like, we don't know what this is. Like we, we were in Mexico, then we were in South Africa, then we were in New Hampshire. And you're like, you don't want to be that asshole, right? Sorry, but like, you know, who's like, oh, oh no, I murdered you know, half of New Hampshire. So we were careful at the start, but then I, you know, I, I look at source material. I don't listen to anyone. I don't watch the legacy news. So I was online reading reports, looking at charts, munging my own data. And I was like, well, this is a big nonsense sandwich we're getting sold. And having actually been through two of those cycles, Y2K, the 2008 collapse, uh, you know, I was like, oh, wait, I've been here before I one, don't have to panic like I might have, you know, 20 years ago, because I was like, ah, here's the reality, folks. Half of this stuff that we drive ourselves crazy about is just in our heads. Yeah. We are just driving, our, like, it's not real, right? Your actual reality is usually quite fine. You know, I'm not saying, you know, we're all the wealthiest or we're all the whatever, but most of us have... Uh, roof over our heads. If you live in America, you will not go hungry if you don't want to. There is, you know, enough people caring and helping and stuff. So like 98% of it is just us bananas in our own heads going, ah, and I've worked really hard to silence that voice. And I'm hoping that I can help teach other people to do it too. So I, I couldn't get you on here and have you come by if I didn't ask you about the Fauci emails and what you thought. And I know you've been really vocal about masks, you know, after you figured things out that masks weren't the answer and these lockdowns weren't the answer, and very vocal about it, which is awesome. What, what do you think about this whole new thing with this, this Freedom of Information Act stuff coming from Washington Post and BuzzFeed, the two least suspecting places that I've, I've ever seen. What's up with all the redactions? So, so I have several thoughts on that. I will start with the following. I did post a meme yesterday on social media that said something like, um, you know, to all the people who called me crazy and a murderer over the years, the leaked Fauci emails, you know, will vindicate me or something. I'm not phrasing it right, but it's on my wall. Sorry, yeah, I deserve an apology. <laughs> yeah. So this morning I'm checking, you know, my, my phone and I see a warning and, and I am really 
really mindful. I feel like it's part of my responsibility. I really do try and only share, you know, source data and that I get the facts fairly straight. And, you know, you might get a percentage wrong here or there, but I want to be a trusted source for people that, you know, if you say something, you're in the ballpark, you know what I mean? So I, I am mindful about what I share. So I saw this warning and I was like, misinformation. And I was like, the hell it is, right? So I look it up and it's literally fact-checked to say it's misinformation because it used the word leaked emails, not open government request emails or like, I don't know, FOIA request emails. Right. So they're saying it's fake news because it says it's a leaked email. Now, does that substantively change the content of the emails? No, no right? So they're just, it's just one of those like propaganda levels, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, Sorry, my dog's like, hi, I want to play too. And um, Bring him so, on. <laughs> sorry, she's going. Um, so, so, of course, it's kind of, you know, it's nice to have that I told you so kind of experience. I mean, who doesn't love that, right? And especially when people, you know, spend a year calling you names and all of that, it, it does feel good. But it's also deeply frustrating because we have to teach people to be more skeptical and to really start to put on those thinking caps and that sort of critical thinking stuff, right? Because they are indoctrinating and manipulating. And it's, it's, it's brain science at this stage, right? So we know if you actually study the history of propaganda and you study sort of mind control, which sounds tinfoil hatty, but the science is there. A lot of it is in messaging and programming and all this stuff. And I read a shocking to me study recently. I'm reading this book called Thinking Fast and Slow, and it sort of talks about both sides of your brain, those more long-term memory versus short-term memory and how those things complement each other. But there was an experiment in which they took, I think it was college students, and they put them in separate rooms and they primed them with certain words. And they thought the words were what the experiment was about, but that wasn't it. So in one group had sort of uh, normal words or maybe even high energy words. And then in the other group, they had all these, what they call the Florida effect words. So it was like slow, grumpy, napping, um, lethargic, you know, dementia, like uh, just these like sort of old people terms, right? So they thought it was about the words, but the experiment was actually how fast they left the rooms they were in and walked to wherever they were told to go. And the group that saw the old people Florida effect words walked remarkably, measurably, statistically measurably slower than the others from one time priming. So now imagine <laughs> what the legacy media has done to people's minds, right? This constant news barrage we know from the music they play. I mean, honestly, I, you know, I say this at least, you know, 20 times a week. If you want to do something for your own health and mindset and really reclaiming your, your life for yourself and, and to live an optimal, full, good life, switch off legacy TV, stop, don't consume it. It is, it is literally just there to, to not 
to make you unwell in your brain. I mean, there's nothing good that's going to come of it at this stage. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt that there was a real thing called Operation Mockingbird, and, and it was run, and, and it happened as soon as TV happened, and it's been running and, and going in the news stations and five companies that own all the media, 10 companies that own all the food. Yeah, there's a, there's a pretty crazy, um, you know, information campaign or misinformation campaign happening here. Um, speaking of, I, I guess, misinformation campaigns, um, you had something happen in, in where with, with the police, right? And can you, can you tell us a, a, a little bit about that? Because I see stuff that's kind of all over the place with it. And there was a landmark, you know, case that they, that you had with it, break it down for us. And then what I want to do is get into after that. I want to start talking about freedom nom nom because that's that's why oh, that's why I really brought you on here. But I want to get awesome. the where story and, and and then we then we got to get into that and I want to get into to food and eating and all that stuff. Okay, great. Yeah. So so in a nutshell, I got arrested um, for filming police officers in a, a during a late night traffic stop. This was back in two thousand and ten. So shockingly, it was literally still with a video camera, not a cell phone camera. Oh, the good old days, right? <laughs> and um, and so I, I we were we were going home. I was following people to their house. I was going to stay over because I had skis from Pat's Peak, and I had taken them for the season. And I need to drop them off, and it was the last day, and it was kind of like ah, last minute. And I didn't know where I was going, so I was just following these other people to their house. And so they pulled us over, and they wanted the front car, not me. But I didn't know where I was going, and so I was like, I can't leave. And also, you're being kind of weird and aggressive, officer. So I'm just going to film you. What do I know? They didn't like that. <laughs> so anyway, so I got arrested. They took me to the police station. They originally charged me with, you know, disobeying and sort of the catch-all, you know, we didn't like your, we didn't like your spirit with us, lady, you know. <laughs> so they charged me with that stuff. But it was a weird interaction. You know, my, my cuffs were really tight. I complained. They made them tighter, you know, all this stuff. So when I was about to leave, they didn't give me my camera back. And I was like, um... I, I need my video camera back. And the officer said, well, no, we're keeping it for evidence. And I was like, okay, I'm not really happy with that, but I understand, so that's fine. Give me a receipt to prove you took my camera so that we're all on the same page. And they refused to do that. And then I got difficult. Then they charged me with wiretapping, which was their mistake. Uh, that is a felony charge. And, you know, we, I, I always joke about it, but then I read the other day, if you have been uh, charged with a felony arrest, so felony arrest, not felony conviction, is now starting to have negative impacts on certain things. And so I was like, oh, it's not really a joke if someone's just like, well, we're charging you with felony arrest, even if you're not later. Well, what about innocent, until, innocent until proven guilty. Not anymore, guys. I mean, not anymore. I was shocked with, uh, you know, we have some crypto and Bitcoin enthusiasts in the community and the alphabet soups are coming for, mm -hmm. you know, for crypto. And I, I, and I'll get back to the point in a second, but I'm shocked because they, um, 
there is no more innocent till proven guilty. I mean, these people are being put on bail. They have to wear ankle bracelets. They're not allowed to meet or talk to certain people. They're not allowed to use computers. They are not allowed to drink. They are not allowed to... It's screwing them. Yeah, and I'm like, but... So you're basically giving someone a pre-sentence, right? So, so, yeah. Well, they're Uncle Sam's money there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I I mean, I don't think they could put the genie back in the bottle, so that's good for us. But, you know, it is... is, I think we're definitely in that uh, power structure. Uh, But again, more decentralized people fighting about stuff in counts in our favor. All right, so we are. So they arrest me, they charge me with wiretapping. I decide, all right, you know what? I mean, I am a trained lawyer and I was just like, I'm not gonna let this one slide. And I also thought it was a pretty important issue, right? This was before we we really knew, you know, are they gonna say that is a First Amendment right? I mean, it seemed clear to, to most activists and First Amendment people that, yeah, sure, of course, you should be able to film police officers in the execution of their public duties while in public, like no brainer, right? And there was an earlier case called the Glick case. And that case took place on the Boston Commons the year before mine. And that was also a lawyer. um, And he was filming, but it was a first Someone was giving a speech. He was filming the speech. The police officers came. There was an altercation. They took his camera. So in that case, they said, well, you do have a right to film, but you have the right to film in public during the day on the Boston Commons, which is like a known First Amendment thing. So it was this very narrowly tailored decision. And so... um, They charged me. We went to my arraignment. They immediately dropped the charges. I think they were like, ooh, oh, no, we've riled up these free, you know, they arrested some other free staters that night, too. So we were kind of like a crew and people were showing up en masse at court. And so they were like, no, 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 we'll just drop the charges. And I was like, the hell you will. I told my lawyer, I'm like, you go tell the judge I want them to reinstate the charges. I want to fight this. And they were like, who is this lady? <laughs> and I was like, you tell him. And of course the judge was like, you tell your crazy client to please go home, right? But I was like, you know what? I do have a good case and I'm going to fight it on a federal level, on a civil liberties uh, you know, perspective. So we did. It took four years. We took it all the way to the uh, First Circuit Court. So uh, you know, there's the Supreme Court and then there are nine... Uh, circuit courts under that. So the one right under the Supreme Court, the first circuit out of Boston is, um, it applies to about 13 million people. So it's most of New England and Puerto Rico. And so for anyone who's in any of that area, it is perfectly legal to film police officers. Uh, They cannot and should not confiscate your camera. You should not try and interfere, which just makes sense to me anyway, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're all in a situation. And for me, this has never been about confrontation. It's always been about being a witness. There's statistical proof that says when you are being watched, you everyone behaves a little better. We know it's good for officer safety, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. So they had made the argument, yeah, well, you know, it applies in Boston on the commons. 
And they were kind of trying to argue that, well, it doesn't apply when you're on the side of the road at 11 o'clock at night. And I was like, are you literally arguing the Constitution doesn't work? After and my rights, at what time do my rights go null and void? Is it right? No. Right? It differentiate if it's at dark? Well, it gets dark later now. So do I get to, you know, exercise my rights till nine o'clock? Or and then and in winter it's four o'clock. I only have to because it's so dark at four. We have to set time limits on rights and viruses. Right. <laughs> well, well, I mean, <laughs> the sad part is that, I mean, that's kind of what they're doing, right? Like, we are seeing the institution of curfews. We did see that in several states. They didn't really do it here. I mean, the closest I saw really was that they stopped the tolls. I think it was at nine or 10 at night. But I always said, look, if this was really about a virus and spreading germs around, wouldn't the number one thing be that you would stop is, is the tolls, the handing of gross money between people? So, you know, I think for all of us thinking folk, we were like, man, if they could just come up with something that's like plausible and that at least like, like passes the smell test. Like, I'm like, look, man, just persuade me. I'm willing to do it if it makes sense. But if you're just telling me to do things because you're stupid, no, I'm not going with that program. So, uh, you know, that kind of reminds me of like, you know, like, well, so you're on a public uh, public road, right? When this happened, you're on a public road. You were not being, you were not pulled over by the officer. You were then a bystander just exercising your freedom of press because that's what you are. You are part of the press. Whether you have a credential or not, it's, it's irrelevant. If Fox News gives you a credential, it's just something they made up that says this is your, your, your part of the press. But you are part of the press, and the Constitution is your is your press pass. Yep. And there's nothing that they can get you on. I mean, you're not interfering. You're not standing in his way from doing his job. There's no crime there. Yeah. And and now they know that. And not only that, um, I think the part I'm the proudest of is in this decision, they said that they do not have qualified immunity. So the important thing for folks to understand is um, what I would love to see happen in New Hampshire is that we have a culture of filming every single police encounter. They are starting to wear body cam cameras, and I think that is a good thing. I think it doesn't hurt to actually have records, right? But in New Hampshire, turns out the body cam footage is exempt from our right to know laws which is some mistake that I didn't know about till I got cheeky and tried to get them from an officer last year when I put out a fire for them, but that's another story. <laughs> and, uh, and they were like, oh no, that's exempt. So that's definitely something we need to fix because what they're also doing is they're using them now for interviews so that the interviews are not subject to disclosure. So it's a runaround. Well, that so what I would fun? love to see. So they said this big thing, like, we're going to have them have body cameras, but the fine print was, yeah, but it can't be used for anything. Yeah. yeah. Well, it could only be used for them to okay. protect oh, them, oh, yeah. right? Because yeah. they're the only ones who have access to the info, okay. which is why I think in order to level that playing field, and again, not from an animosity perspective, from a let's keep everyone safe perspective, every... Granite Stater should film every police encounter. You know, even if you're just, you know, if you just see it and it's on the sidewalk, just stop and just film it. 
um, because that will change the culture because it'll really create that vibe where everyone's like on better behavior, but they don't have qualified immunity. So if a police officer takes your camera, erases your footage, arrests you for filming them, only for filming them, um, you can sue them also in their personal capacity because what qualified immunity does, it's a special get out of free jail card for law enforcement and they're extending it now to public officials. But basically what they say is, oh, if you're a, if you're a law enforcement officer to us, they say, Ignorance of the law is no excuse, right? That's what we're constantly told. And so they are saying, well, unless they have ignorance of the law, ignorance of the law is no excuse unless you're the enforcer of the law, then it's an absolute defense. So what qualified immunity used to say is, oh, I didn't know that wasn't illegal. So oops, we won't do it next time. And now we're saying at least for filming cops, there is no next time. You can sue them in their personal capacity. And the thinking there is to make them more mindful, to be like, oh, damn, my wife's going to be really mad if we lose the house because, you know, I took this kid's phone because I was kind of being a jerk. And, you know, so hopefully the culture becomes that we're all on better behavior. And the more we know, the, the more equipped we are to, to make better decisions. Now, are you familiar with the uh, protesters outside of Sununu's house? Yes. Now, from what I'm getting on that is they actually have a shot of, like, kind of in your situation. So he was scared, made this ordinance saying that you can't protest in front of his, in front of his house. Yeah. But they're on a public street. Yes. So as long as they don't go onto his property, there's nothing they, he can do. And to have them arrested and ticketed... Now you violated their constitutional rights, in my opinion. I, no, I, I, I agree with you. I, I, I mean, based on everything I know about the case, I think they have a pretty solid case. I hope, I did recommend some lawyers and stuff. I'm hoping they are pursuing it. I would actually love to see the ACLU of New Hampshire come back on some of these cases. They've helped me over the years. They're not always right. But here's another thing, and I think this is something people have to start to accept. No one's always right. We are human beings. We are flawed. We fail. We try again. That's part of the human condition. And, you know, like I get so much grief because I try and work with everyone. Like I'll work with everyone. And, and you know, I think life is just a diplomacy mission. Like if, if we don't believe in force, then all we're doing is everyone's just hanging out and being like, hey, let me tell you, what do you think? You know, but I get, you know, I get grief for like being in a photo. I was in a photo with Christy Nome last year and you know, I, I, I do support legalized marijuana and she's a big, you know, drug warrior. And people are like, how dare you be in a photo with some lady from right. South Dakota? You know, or I went to the, the Vice President Pence's fundraising thing last night. Cause I was kind of like, man, I haven't dressed up in a while. I'll go, you know, shake my butt around. And, <laughs> with some person that like you have subsumed their entire 
thought process and aura and whatever. That's what we have to do. Yes, you're a cello. You're a Pence's gala. You're a cello. It's it's crazy. Mm -hmm. And I think it's all amplified by social media through Facebook and through Twitter. And and we know that. Um, Well, it kind of goes with the same thing. Like people says like, like people say like, I still wear a mask even though I'm vaccinated because I want people to think I'm a Trump supporter. Like I heard that one. Like that's that, that's that's what you think about. Like, how about think about why you're wearing this fucking mask on your head when you See, you're I think I think that's part of the the entire insanity and the whole mind control and all of that. And and this is going to segue into sort of healthier living and all of that stuff. I think the number one thing people have to stop worrying about is what other people think of you. Here's what you should care about, is what do you think of you? And it's actually when I figured that out is when I really started to like heal and grow and change and make the right choices. Um, Because that's really the relationship, right? It's kind of like, I mean, it's fine, you know, because we can, we're all on each other's fingertips and everyone's got an opinion and stuff, but it's genuinely just noise. It's back to that sort of notion of the community and looking people in the eye and all of that, that already puts all of us on better behavior because, you know, there, there's real energy exchange, there's real human, you know, life. But this whole thing of like these, these like this cancel culture and this just, you know, I was laughing. I was at some critical race theory thing up at the state house because I'm like, look, man, no one's going to like, I refuse to be an African-American anti-apartheid activist who voted for Nelson Mandela and get called a white supremacist. I'm like, no, you don't get to do that. That's like my line, man. Stop it. Right. We aren't all inherently racist. All this nonsense of just pitting people against each other has to stop, right? But it has to start with, like, I, I, don't, I don't actually get offended because I'm like, I know I'm not a racist. I know I'm a good person. So, like, once I figure it out, it doesn't matter what the people who don't like you are going to say to you. They're not happy. They, you know, I'm just like out there going, go figure out what's wrong with you. Like if, if, if we're going to pretend there's one social contract in the world, I would say your only social contract is to take care of yourself. That's it, period. And once you can do that, meaning you're healthy, you're functioning, you don't have debt, you know how to change a wheel, I don't know, feed a chicken, whatever it is, right? Like once you've taken up your time and you're an optimal good human, then you can go and maybe go help the person next to you. But if we all just worked on us first, then that's how you heal the world. And also we've been told, you know, the world's gotten so big and so small, but I saw this meme and it said, we were not designed to carry the weight of the world. You can't do it cognitively. We cannot do it. That's why people are so bananas and so anxious and so whatever. So instead of being like, um, you know, I I think I write about this in my essay and in my book, um, The Ecstatic Pessimist. (laughs) Um, I'm actually an optimist, but uh, these are stories of hope. But, you know, I talk about how if if you're living in the past, so it's a um, Lao 
I think you said Lao Chao or something, Chow or something, uh, but you spell it T-Z-U, right? Lao Tzu. Um, I saw this little meme once and it said, you know, if you're depressed, you're living in the past. And if you're anxious, you're living in the future. But if you're at peace, you're living in the present and you're living in the now. And so I really went on this journey to be like, how can I be fully present? Because what you do then is you're reclaiming your brain to be like, okay, like what's really happening, right? Full circle back to that, what is our real reality? And I think in order for people to, for us to heal the world, we're actually going to have to heal individual by individual by teaching him the choice and her, the choice is you have to heal yourself. And I mean that like literally your body, your mind and your soul. Mm -hmm. And that is infectious too. If you can heal yourself, other people around you are gonna see you healing yourself and they're, they're gonna wanna do the same thing too. And, and jump on the bandwagon and and, and do it. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and you know, honestly, or it's, 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 they'll try to knock you down. Yeah, either one. That, that or they'll be like, "Look at you, you asshole!" You, Why can you, weed, <laughs> you can weed those people out pretty yeah. quick, and if you keep your nose to the grindstone and you keep doing what's 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 good for you and good for your family, those people will eventually just just it's fade away. Right. Yeah. And, Right. And that's how you build a healthy community. Right. Like, do you want to have people who want to knock you down? No, I want to be surrounded. You know, that saying about you are who, who the people are that you surround yourself with. Well, yeah. So you want to surround yourself with people who are, you know, we all again, we all fail. I mean, it was like, it was a really big knock for me when I lost those Senate races. Like, I've always been very successful. If I set my mind to something, I'm like, I'm going to knock this out. But I was not in a good space. You know, I was drinking way too much. Uh, the drinking was as a result of anxiety because I'd been forced into this very public role that I had never sought. So I didn't really know what to do with the attention and it made me uncomfortable. And, you know, so like I just had a lot of things to work through. And so I, I, I genuinely want people to understand, like if you set your mind to better habits, and then you make it a routine and the routine part is the hard part because we all hate that but here's the god's honest truth if you you know decide to get enough sleep sleep is so important like half of the world's problems are that people are not sleeping enough your brain has to detox and, you know, I would get like four hours of sleep and, and like for years on end, you know, and I was just like, wow, you know, so I can see a remarkable change with sleep, eating right, low, low carb, you know, medium protein, try and get a grass fed protein and high good fats. And for the ladies, it's the hardest thing to change your mind because we were told, certainly my generation, we were just told low fat, low fat, low fat, fat will kill you, fat will make you fat, fat will, you know. And turns out, like almost everything the government has ever told us, they got it totally wrong. Yeah, like now keto is the big thing where it's high fat, low carbs. Yeah. And, and a lot of friends that are, are dabbling into that now. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, I lost 65 pounds. I've kept it off for like four years, well, two years now. I mean, it took two years to lose and it's been off for two years. I'm super active again. I'm back at doing my yoga practice, meditation. Honestly, 
journaling. I, for, you know, for years and years and years, everyone's like, you should journal. And I was like, that's stupid. I'm going to do that, you know. And also, I was drinking a lot, so I was blacking out at night. So, you know, where I journal now, you know, I couldn't maybe do it in the past. But the, the notion of journaling, and a lot of people I know do them on apps. You can do these micro apps where you just get your moods. But the routine of it was twofold. One was... I had to create a routine that something that I could promise myself and stick to for an entire year and just be like, I did that one thing and I didn't lie to myself. I didn't screw it up. I just, and for one year I was like, I promised myself I was going to do yoga every Sunday, call my parents every Sunday and write in my journal every day. And I did that for a year and it changed my life because I made a promise to myself that I kept. Then the like not drinking and all that stuff just flowed from there because I created a base of like retrust with myself. And so, you know, and that makes you mindful when you're writing and you're thinking about how did I behave today? Could I have done this better? You know, was I good to my spouse, to my partner, to my children, to my dog who is not happy <laughs> with me right now? She's like, all grumpy. You know? Go ahead. Feel free to have your dog make an appearance if you want. I don't know how <laughs> she, she, she did leave again. Oh. Um, so, so, you know, I highly recommend trying to put a couple of routines in your life, um, really thinking about, you know, how you're fueling, fueling your life, right? Because so many of us, and, and I've said this throughout COVID, you know, I was shocked at how people reacted because everyone was so scared of dying, but I was like, but how are you living? <laughs> like, you're like, how are you living? Like, if you're just, you know, it would be these people and I would see them and they, you know, they're toddling into the right aid with two masks on and then they come outside and they pull it off and they light a cigarette. And I was just like, no, I mean, I don't mind. Free to smoke, just to make it my problem. That's all I got to Even say. Even the first people to say you're going to kill people because you're not wearing a mask. Right. It's like, oh, okay, but you're smoking a cigarette. Like, right. You know, like, you kinda, why even have the mask on at that point? I don't know. No, it's, it's, it, it's been very bananas. But, but the point is, there's, I mean, there is a lot of information on my website, so I will say that. But I highly recommend, you know, for people who are curious or who want to make changes, do them in small baby steps. Again, you know, make one promise to yourself and stick to it. And then, really think about that mindset, right? Where you're, you're, you're being mindful and trying to be in the now because when we're in the now, we're at peace, right? And so if we can bring more and more people into the now, into the present, into not being anxious or depressed, but truly not, not necessarily happy. Happiness can be an illusion or a, a, something we need to pursue. But the more you do good things for yourself, the, the happier it does become because you are, it's part of that self-ownership, right? So you, you're, you're taking command of yourself and, and making those decisions. And it starts again, you know, from what you're eating, how you're sleeping, how you're treating the people around you and, you know, where your mind is. You become comfortable in your own skin, basically. Yeah. So this whole healthy eating, 
has brought you into doing a cooking show, Freedom Nom Nom. And it looks like it just started, and I love the name. And I don't know if you know this. I'm going to send you my, my, my information. I'm a chef by trade. I saw like, that in your, your thing, yeah. I food on a, on a regular basis. I don't get into too much about what the actual business is that I, that I do on the podcast and whatnot. But I'll share that with you on, 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 a, on another, at another time. But how, how, did you, how did you get inspired to do a cooking show? I've been dying to do one. And I, honestly, I don't have the nerve to do it. It's putting myself um, out there. It really is, because anything can happen. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, I think partly, so I will go, it's free dom nom nom. <laughs> I'm going to get someone to record that for me. Um, partly it was, for this year, I'd set a goal where I was like, oh, I want to bring out another book. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to have time. I am slowly working on the book about the court case, but there's a lot of moving parts, and it's actually quite detail-oriented and stuff. So... Um, I've been doing this other TV show, which is on cable access. It's called Manch Talk, and it's done professionally down by the Manchester Public Television and all of that. And people are complaining because like, my, I feel like I, I wish my audience would grow faster. And everyone's like, you got to make short clips, you know, like people don't have time or they don't know you. And so I set all these goals to be like, figure out how to edit something, uh, figure out how to be more natural in front of the camera, like all that stuff, right? Because all of these things are growth because it uh, it also stems from, you know, gaining the confidence, being sure and mindful that you actually know what you're going to say. You know, it's always a surprise what's coming out of my mouth. So these days I kind of, I'm like, oh, I have a vague idea what I'm going to say next. Um, so I just, I don't know, I said to my husband, I was like, you know, I'm just going to do this once a week, just kind of to practice stuff. And I've, I've enjoyed it, so I've stuck to it. I've only done five episodes. Um, I'm probably going to do 10 and then start to bring friends and stuff in. Um, I, uh, everything's very rustic and, you know, easy to make. Most of it's in one, you know, one pen, one skillet, kind of rustic iron skillet cooking um, but also all paleo, keto. So trying to find like some of those recipes and stuff. And also to show people, it's not that hard, right? People, I think, have this sense that it's, it, I mean, or maybe it's not hard when you're doing it ghetto style like I cook, but, you know, everyone says it tastes good. So I don't know if my technique's there, but, you know, in, in the end, it just matters what it tastes like, right? <laughs> How you get from point A to point B, it's okay, as long as it tastes good. And that end product is, is perfect. Other chefs may tell you otherwise, but I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't matter. I think it's great. And I love the video. I think it was like 10 seconds long, and you're like, oh, a little bit of Carlos spit. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so that's awesome because that means it paid off because that was the first clip I ever made. So uh, uh, uh. <laughs> someone watched it. If you're looking to bring someone on, I'll bring my crypto knives over and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. I found this great company out of Texas that you can buy knives with cryptocurrency. So I bought. Oh, wow. That's one. awesome to hear. You grab one knife with Ravencoin and uh, yeah, the other the other ones with, with Bitcoin. So I've been, I've been Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll send you the guy's information. He's got some really, really nice. Uh, craft made, artisan made, U.S. made knives forged by you know real, real blacksmiths and, and whatnot. Ooh, and and I keep saying maybe someone can teach me knife skills. I think the uh, the muscle memory may be too late for me, but you know I'm definitely. I'll, I'll get part you. of the show is also that notion that again 
it doesn't really matter. We get in our own way and really we should just be doing or figuring out what we're passionate about. And if you're passionate about something and it's your hobby, even if I don't make a red sense ever, I'm like, I cook every day. I'm literally just putting the camera on while I'm cooking something, right? I have to make it anyway. So <laughs> may as well share my passion with other people. So is that in your kitchen that you're in? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Any plans on a studio kitchen or anything like that? Or are you too too new to the, to the game right now? Am I pushing? I mean, oh, you know, yeah, I'm too new to the game. Let me, let me like figure figure out lighting or I, I did figure out a second cut to the pen this weekend so, you know baby steps it's just me you know we live in this beautiful time where I think I think maybe our job in the world every single human being's job in the world is to figure out what you love and to then give that gift to other people that is actually what the market is like if we take all the propaganda away about capitalism's bad or socialism or whatever, right? Really in some ways, both those things are the human condition. We do wanna be good to our friends and neighbors, right? That's the socialism. But we can't do it by stealing or enforcing stealing and bad things, right? It all has to be voluntary. And so when you figure out what you love, and you're like, I want to give this to you. And if you love what I love, you give me money. I'm like, that's a pretty good world. And that's really just what, you know, we're trying to do again. I think we've moved so far away from stuff and we should just focus on ourselves, focus on self-ownership, focus on what you're passionate about, and then give that gift to the rest of the world. And then I think we'll probably be in pretty good shape. Now, I know he told me that you know about this. I'm now curious. The, the pine tree riot. Yes. <laughs> I, I saw that on your note, and I was like, yeah. I looked at it, and I was like, all right, now I got to know more. What do you think? Yeah, so that, I, yeah. I tell a little story about it, or do yeah. you want to do that another time? It's up to you. I know we've kept you for an hour, and I don't want to hold you up on a Friday night. Um, it's, it's really, it's totally up to it's you. It's up to you. So I, I would love to come back and tell you about the pine tree riot because that way I get to come back. <laughs> the pine tree riot, that would be awesome. That that would be absolutely great. And I think what, what you said there, that, that little, little bit in the end, that was perfect. You, you hit the nail on the head right there, taking care of ourselves. And um, yeah, I don't want to take up any more of your time on a Friday night. I feel bad. I appreciate you coming on. Um, can you close it out with where we can find you? In, yes, in, so people can find me at carlagarrick.com, and that's G-E-R-I-C-K-E. Um, my book is available on Amazon and on my website. I blog almost daily. I have a YouTube channel. I have an Odyssey channel. Please, folks, subscribe. My freedom nom nom, freedom nom nom, <laughs> is going to be a sleeper hit uh, once I figure it all out. I... Uh, I, I'm going to definitely continue with that because I enjoy it. And um, I like to share something I love with the world so that we can all have a lovelier world. Uh, I love that passion. Don't lose it. I'm so glad I, I, you commented somewhere on Twitter and I saw it and, and we were able to connect. This was, this was awesome. Uh, Thank you guys so much for having me. I really, really appreciate oh, it. And we're taking you up on that. And we reached out to you about the knife company, my chef stuff. And coming back to do a dive into the pine tree riots. That that sounds awesome. Anytime, probably mid to late August from there. Um, I'm booked out till then, but after that, I'd love to do something. That's fine. Summers awesome. are tough too. So awesome. Thanks so much for coming awesome. on. Uh, Thanks, guys. Peace Bye. out.